Well, folks, good Sunday to you. It is Sunday, that means it's Sunday Letters, and you're listening to the Daily Lar, but I'm Larry G. McGuire uh, from LarryGMcGuire.com. This is the podcast show for artists and writers and craftspeople, creative thinkers, for people who are making stuff for the sake of it, first and foremost. You can be doing it as a hobby, you can be whatever it is, you can be doing it as a, uh, you know, as your career. You you might not have embarked yet and taken what you do into the world and making some money from it, and that doesn't matter. Um, so long as you're making stuff and making it because it floats your boat, you know. And I started podcasting for that reason because it allows me express something that I want to express. Um, I don't generally regard myself as an extrovert I'm certainly more introverted but I can I suppose express some extroversion when I need to when the moment arises and requires it you know Um, I think extroversion introversion is kind of a little bit simplistic we're all a blend of the two I suppose but anyway this show is for you it's for uh, people who think a little bit differently who um, Maybe think a bit left of centre or right of centre. And uh, I talk about things like psychology, like uh, society, like work and life. And the importance of following that something, whatever it is for you. It could be keeping accounts or sweeping the street or painting pictures or making music. It doesn't matter. This is what interests me. This is what floats my boat. And I have ideas that I'd like to share and that's what I do several times a week. Although it's probably about a week since I was um, on here recording an episode. Work has been crazy busy. And uh, I suppose making hay while the sun shines is um, is to your advantage. And that's what I've been doing. So uh, that kind of explains my absence. I am engaged in another little project here at home too. I'm converting the shed into a studio. Because currently I just record and I write and I make stuff or whatever from within the house here. And it's... It's fine, but you're open to constant interruptions and it drives me mad when I'm trying to do something, you know, and the door keeps opening. So I'm converting the shed. I'm working my ass off to get some um, shillings together to do that. And I'll keep you posted on progress there. I'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, Today also, I want to share with you some stuff I've been doing in regard to um, weight loss or fat loss and, and eating. It's not something I touch on very often, although I have spoken about it once or twice here. Um, I've changed my diet and uh, I'm working out again. I'm running and I'm throwing a few weights around and uh, it's making a difference. So I'm going to talk to you about that too. Uh, taking a more, I suppose, serious uh, angle today, I'm also talking to you about the importance of dissenting voices and being a dissenter. Uh, what got me on this one was an article by John Pilger, the journalist, and he's certainly a dissenting voice. Um, although... Maybe not heard as loudly as he should. Uh, He pursues uh, the truth in his work, which is admirable. And on his site, johnpilger.com, he writes about the stuff he finds and uh, tries to expose the bullshit that um, he sees corporations and governments trying to tout to the public. Uh, Most of which we lap up uh, unquestioning, you know. It's stuff that's delivered through media outlets and corporate organizations governments etc and most of us are asleep at the wheel you know most of us just accept what we're told and uh we just get on with stuff uh we're on autopilot 
And this is the big challenge, you know, for the dissenting voice. Now, I wrote about um, the importance of, of challenging authority a little while ago, and I might link to that in the, uh, in the article for today's Sunday Letters. But uh, he encourages in the, in the article that I read from him today that we uh, rise up, you know, and that we, we challenge authority and the importance of challenging authority. And he refers to his uh, grandmother, who uh, was exported from London, I believe, on a on a penal ship. Uh, she was Irish, and with a group of other Irish, uh, I suppose, petty criminals. Uh, at the age of sixteen, she uh, took the five month trip, on order of the court, to Australia, and uh, that's where she married and had ten children and. Uh, one of which was John Pilger's mother, and he refers to um, that story in today's article. I'm going to read some of that um, for you. And related to that whole idea of non-conformity, I want to talk to you about conformity and how uh, our conformity, how our consent is engineered most of the time through uh, the popular modern use of... uh, public relations or propaganda as uh, Edward Bernays calls it. Now, you were just witness to one of those interruptions that I talked about. You might have heard a knocking on the door there. Well, that's what it was. And uh, I had to go deal with that, but I'm back. So anyway, Edward Bernays, uh, he's thought of as the grandfather of uh, modern public relations. Public relations is a term that he coined uh, as an alternative to propaganda in uh, his book titled Propaganda. He speaks about how influential corporations and governments can be in engineering consent of the public, you know. And uh, it's kind of funny language when you read it. I've got it actually in PDF. I think it's it's a, a public accessible, you know, it's open. It's a, it's a book that's available freely online. Uh, I've got a PDF of it. I might share it with you, a link to it. It's worth a read, although the language is a little bit funny um, in places. But uh, it's also very interesting that he felt the need to put down what he did on paper because it's basically uh, showing who he is, you know, and without shame, without uh, reservation, declaring how you might... Uh, take over masses of people and uh, convince them to move in a particular direction and that's what politics is you know although they won't come out and say that i mean we think we live in a democratic society but we don't you know Um, we're conditioned by uh, people who know how to condition us how to influence us and uh, advertisers do it marketers do it politicians do it corporations do it um and we are indeed kind of pushed around by uh, the powerful few. Bernays says in his book, uh, Propaganda, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are moulded, our tastes are formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. 
This is a logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organised. Vast numbers of human beings must cooperate in this manner if they are to live together as a smoothly functioning society. So uh, my view after reading the book or most of the book is that uh, it's a justification for his tactics. Edward Bernays was the nephew of Sigmund Freud and Freud, as you know, was probably the single most influential uh, psychologist, psychoanalyst, psychotherapist, whatever you want to call him, uh, in our our modern world, I suppose, uh, from the mid-1800s, well, I suppose late 1800s, 1880s upwards, maybe. I think, I think he popped his clogs around, uh, was it 1930 or something like that, anyway. But hugely influential. And uh, he had some influence on Bernays, uh, being his nephew. Bernays was part of a, a group uh, put together by Woodrow Wilson and the government, the US government at the time, in order to convince what was termed a passive American public that uh, entry into World War One was the right thing to do. And what they embarked on was a systematic um, uh, rollout of propaganda to convince the public that uh, war was right and that the Germans were obscene. So they made movies and they wrote headlines and they produced material and they lambasted the public with all of this propaganda. And eventually the passive uh, American public turned face and uh, were agreeable that the United States should go to war. So they did. Um, Now, that was, uh, as I understand it, and the research that I've done, uh, was after the Germans broke several uh, agreements with the US government that they had made uh, to refrain from, uh, let's say, bombing their commercial fleet or whatever, not bombing, torpedoing commercial fleet in the Mediterranean, the Pacific, or the, uh, not the Pacific, the Atlantic, the English Channel and stuff. So they made agreements with the Germans that they wouldn't do. I think the Lusitania was torpedoed at the time and uh, they made some agreements. Look, lads. Um, we want to stay out of the war, we're neutral in the war, says Mr. Wilson, uh, please agree that you won't fucking torpedo our ships and da-da-da, but they did. So anyway, um, I think the straw that broke the camel's back, as far as I know, was that uh, the German uh, war machine uh, had solicited support from Mexico for uh, their war effort, and I think that kind of push the United States over the edge. So anyway, a passive American public needed to be convinced. Uh, Wilson hired Bernays and a whole bunch of other blokes and uh, they succeeded in convincing the American public that going to war was the right thing. So after that, Bernays uh, was involved in other um, campaigns, mostly with private organisations like uh, corporations uh, to convince people that their products were good, you know. And I believe that one of those campaigns was related to bananas and some banana company, fruit company in the United States, because Guatemala were selling bananas at cheaper, a cheaper rate or whatever. And uh, he was tasked with um, uh, slating Guatemala and the government and fruit from coming from Guatemala, all this kind of rubbish, basically uh, placing um, Guatemala in a negative light and he succeeded and I think there was they almost went to war and there was all kinds of atrocities uh, uh, carried out as a result of the propaganda campaign that Bernays pursued on behalf of whatever company he happened to be working for 
all this stuff is online you can watch it there's a site uh, uh, you can check out a video I'll include this link as well uh, art A-R-T-E dot E-U is it or dot com I'll include a link in the in the notes uh, and you can watch a video um, where it's I think it's about an hour long where they get into the nitty gritty and a bit of history about Bernays and what he did anyway Bernays is seen by a lot of people as uh, a negative uh, aspect or a, a negative contributor to uh, our current modern society whereby the public uh, public's consent of questionable um, endeavours that government and corporations take on um, and uh, uh, attempt to convince us that it's the right thing so uh, I've got a clip that I want to play for you it's by um, from uh, Noam Chomsky the linguist and here he answers a question about what he thought of Bernays and uh, I thought you might find this interesting so check this out from uh, Noam Chomsky uh, actually I never you're right he lived in Cambridge we weren't that far apart I never actually met him but, called the uh, father of public relations yeah but I've I've written a fair amount. I, I've looked a lot at a lot of his work, and in fact, I've written a fair amount about it. Uh, I suspect that it wasn't his uh, Freud who was the big influence on him, but rather, uh, in fact, exactly what he said. He said the major influence on him was his participation uh, in the first state propaganda agency in the United States, uh, Woodrow Wilson's Committee on Public Information, which was established in order to try to drive a basically pacifist population uh, into support for the war that uh, Wilson very much wanted to get into in, uh, in Europe. And it succeeded. Uh, within a short period of time, the propaganda efforts, they were called propaganda in those days, it was more honest use of terminology, the propaganda efforts of the Committee on Public Information, a very Orwellian name, uh, was uh, uh, did succeed in driving a pacifist population into uh, raving uh, anti-German fanatics, you know, to the point where um, the Boston Symphony Orchestra couldn't play uh, Beethoven and things like that. Uh, it drove the country into a kind of hysteria. And the participants in that uh, committee included many people of uh, subsequent great uh, distinction and influence. Edward Bernays was one. Another was Walter Lippmann, the leading public intellectual of the 20th century and most important figure in American media. Uh, both of them uh, went through the, that experience and learned from it uh, and wrote about what they learned from it. What they learned, as uh, Bernays put it in his a famous book of his called Propaganda, late 1920s, I think, uh, he said that we have learned that uh, the intelligent minorities uh, can uh, engineer consent through the use of uh, uh, manipulation, propaganda, and uh, control. And we should do it for the benefit of the public. It's for the benefit of the public that we should control them and engineer their consent. Uh, Lippmann said pretty much the same thing. Also drawing from the experience of the wartime propaganda agency, uh, he wrote uh, significant, important essays on democracy in the 1920s called Progressive Essays in Democracy. They were both uh, liberals, kind of Wilsonian progressives. Uh, he said, well, we've learned that uh, there's a new art in the practice of democracy, uh, the art of what he called manufacturing consent. Bernays' term was 
engineering of consent. And this is very significant uh, because the public uh, should not be participants in the democratic process. They should be spectators, not participants. They are uh, ignorant and meddlesome outsiders, as he put it. And for their own benefit, uh, we, the intelligent minority, the responsible men, uh, must control them. Uh, Bernays's particular significance, uh, th this had all sorts of influence all over the place, uh, but uh, in the intellectual culture, in political science, and so on. But Bernays's particular influence was exactly as you say, in, uh, um, he was one of the founders of the modern public relations industry, which grew into a massive industry right at that period, had it existed before, but it became very important after uh, uh, at this time, and its goal was uh, to control attitudes, uh, beliefs, uh, uh, to marginalize people, to induce, uh, to drive them towards what were called uh, the superficial things of life, like uh, fashionable p consumption, and uh, keep them out of the public arena where they don't belong. Uh, Bernays's first major achievement was uh, uh, a program that uh, uh, convinced women to uh, smoke cigarettes. Women didn't smoke in those days. Uh, but uh, he had an elaborate public relations program, including uh, models walking down Fifth Avenue, you know, to show with cigarettes showing this is what modern women are like. And it did succeed in turning women into smokers with a toll that we need not discuss. The Guatemala case, you're correct. He was the public relations, uh, he ran the public relations for uh, the propaganda effort to uh, support the overthrow of the democratic uh, government of Guatemala, which led to uh, uh, horrifying atrocities, which the country is still suffering from. This is one of the examples that we should be anything but proud of, and he did play a role on that. So I'm not entirely sure when that was recorded. I reckon it was around the 70s. Now, Chomsky looks quite young, fresh. He's not as wrinkly as he is now, but I respect Noam Chomsky and uh, what he stands for and the stuff that he talks about makes sense to me. That's why I'm sharing that clip with you. Uh, but Bernays, um, Bernays is, you could say, a, a little bit of a sinister character. Um, whatever his open intent was, uh, I think he certainly seems to me anyway, as somebody who was convinced that um, he was at the forefront of uh, psychological uh, manipulation, maybe, well, he openly refers to what uh, propaganda um, does, is manipulate human beings. But I think he was maybe righteous. I don't know. I never met the guy. But it seems to, obviously I didn't meet, he's dead now. But it seems to me that the guy was a little bit righteous and certainly convinced because he used to hang out with all the um, most influential people on Wall Street and in government and all these it's very easy to be convinced when you have the support of all of these very powerful people that what you're doing is honourable and right and uh, he writes in that book um, Propaganda how uh, it's the leaders imperative you could say to uh, pursue these means of convincing the public that they need to move in a particular direction and that uh, it uh, lends itself towards an organised society you know a civilized society. What's the success here? Um, 
yes, uh, uh, that we must cooperate in this manner if we are to live together as a smoothly functioning society. Anyway, Bernays and his cohort and his modern uh, uh, cohort, um, uh, their job is to convince you and me that we need to do this, that or the other. And uh, that means uh, eliciting our conformity or our consent for things that on an individual basis, individually you and I may not agree with and somehow come to rationalise it uh, as okay, you know. John Pilger got me on this one this morning. He finishes off his article today uh, by saying, Where are those of us prepared to utter unlawful oaths and stand up to the authorities and charlatans in government who glorify war and, in collusion with an imperial master, invent foreign enemies and criminalise dissent and who abuse and mistreat vulnerable refugees to these shores and disgrace, disgracefully call them illegals. Uh, nobody wants, uh, nobody wants refugees, you know. And there's a big, um, not prob. Well, it is a problem. It's a problem for governments across Europe at the moment, because you have masses of people moving from Africa uh, into Southern Europe, and they're drowning in boats, and boats are sinking with hundreds of people, if not thousands of people. Uh, they're being left um, floating out in the sea because they can't. They won't be taken ashore. Uh, you have people moving from Syria across Europe. I think a million plus people left Syria because of the war, a proxy war uh, between the United States and um, and Russia, uh, played out through the means that they've adopted. And of course, when you read the news, they'll convince you that it's uh, something other than that, or something other than a fight for resources and power and oil and money. Um, and John Pilger writes about this all the time. Um, in this article today, he writes about uh, his own ancestors uh, in Australia and the formation of the, the Australian state. Um, I'll read a little bit from this for you. It's worth, it's worth a read. I will uh, drop a link into today's article uh, to allow you to go and check this out. John Pil Pilger gave this address on the 200th anniversary of the establishment of uh, the Parramatta Female Factory, a prison where women convicts from mostly Ireland and England were sent to Britain's Australian Connolly, Connolly, colony <laughs> in the early 19th century. Like all colonial societies, Australia has secrets. The way we treat indigenous people is still mostly a secret. For a long time, the fact that many Australians came from what was called bad stock was a secret. Bad stock meant convict forebears, uh, those like my great-grandmother, Mary Palmer, who was incarcerated here at the female factory in Parramatta in 1823. According to nonsense spun by numerous aunts who had irresistible bourgeois ambitions, Mary Palmer and the man she married, Francis McCarthy, were a lady and a gentleman of Victorian property and propriety. In fact, Mary was the youngest member of a gang of wild young women, mostly Irish, who operated in the east end of London, known as the Ruffians. They kept poverty at bay with the proceeds of prostitution and petty theft. The Ruffians were eventually arrested and tried and hanged, except Mary, who was spared because she was pregnant. She was just 16 when she was manacled in the hold of a ship under sail 
the Lord Sidmouth, bound for New South Wales for the term of her natural life, said the judge. The voyage took five months, a purgatory of sickness and despair. I know what she looked like because some years ago I discovered an extraordinary ritual in St Mary's Cathedral in Sydney. Every Thursday, in a vestry, a nun would turn the pages of a register of Irish Catholic convicts, and there was Mary, described as not more than four foot in height, emaciated and pitted with the ravages of smallpox. So he goes on to talk about uh, his grandmother Mary's uh, early history, or early life in uh, Australia. And uh, most uh, remarkable was um, this next bit I found, you know. Uh, Then there was courting day. Once a week, bereft gentlemen, whomever they might be, were given first pick, followed by soldiers, then male convicts. This is in the Parramatta factory where women would be... uh, lined up, almost like on parade, for the benefit of men, bereft gentlemen, um, soldiers, male convicts, right? Remarkable stuff. This is the 1800s. Some of the women found finery and and primped urgently, as if inspected by male, by a male, might provide a way out of their predicament. Others turned their backs, should an aspiring mate be an old string, stringy bark fella down from the bush. During all this, the matron would shout out what she called the good points of each woman, which was a revelation to all. In this way, my great-great-grandparents met each other. I believe they were well-matched. Francis McCarthy had been transported from Ireland for the crime of uttering unlawful oaths against his English landlord. In other words, he called him a bollocks. Or a fucking bollocks, or something like that, right? This is the the story in uh, in Ireland at the time. You had these uh, um, mostly Protestant English landlords who basically rented the land to the pauper Irish, and they were bastards. Most of them, they like you could kill Irish people and not be tried for it. Uh, uh, kill Irish peasants at the time, um, and uh, get away with it. There'd be no charge, you know. You were lawfully allowed to do it. Anyway, so uh, Francis McCarthy was uh, ushered onto a, onto a ship bound for Australia for uh, uttering unlawful oaths. In other words, being a dissenter uh, by um, standing up for himself. Mary and Francis were married at St. Mary's Church, later St. Mary's Cathedral, on November the 9th, 1823, with four other convict couples. Eight years later, they were granted their ticket of leave and Mary her conditional pardon by the Colonel Snodgrass, the Captain General of New South Wales, blah, blah. So he goes on to say, um, I sometimes wonder, where is this spirit today, this dissenting spirit, this um, little bit of bravery, you know? Uh, Where is the spirit of the intractables among those who claim to represent us and those who accept in supine silence, the corporate conformity that is characteristic of much of modern Australia. You could say that that's the case everywhere. UK, Ireland, United States, Canada. Most of us conform. You know, we do what we're told. Um, that's the nature of the group mentality, the group thought. And we tend to, um, you could say, forgo our individuality for the sake of peace, for the sake of apparent safety, you know the safety of the group, and that's to our detriment, because nothing ever changes. You know, for a while, being a dissenting voice 
you tend to be castigated. Those in power will will lambaste you, you know, and call you um, this, that, and the other. They'll try and discredit you in some way, and uh, until such time as if you if you persist, maybe you'll build some support for your ideas, um, whatever it is. I was reading today about uh, on a site called what was it? Seed Men, I think it's called something like that. They sell uh, cannabis seeds, you know, and it's remarkable. It's along the same lines, you know. For a long, long time, society thought that cannabis was uh, dangerous, a gateway drug, that it was uh, evil, and um, it spawned crime after crime and. Uh, Lots of atrocities came about by the trafficking of drugs and cannabis and what have you. But now, all of a sudden, it's not. All of a sudden now, it's acceptable. All of a sudden, it's it's legal in the United States. And other countries are going the same way. I'm not sure if it's legal here in Ireland. I don't believe so. But it's remarkable that we can be convinced en masse by uh, those with influence, government, corporations, etc., that such a thing is to be reviled and uh, pushed against and considered uh, bad and evil and detrimental to a, a, a functioning society. And then all of a sudden, within a couple of years, it completely changes, you know. And I think, in large part, you and me, our cohort, our group, our uh society is a little bit stupid you know on mass we just take on what we're told and we just accept it and uh, we're easily influenced through movies radio and tv and now the internet um and i think it's important that you and me maintain a dissenting voice whatever way we can you know even if it's only to write an article online against a particular idea or challenging someone's position and it can be difficult to gain support you know when you're going against uh, the status quo but if it's in your heart that something is not right well you've got to stand up for it you know artists and creatives have been traditionally uh, dissenting voices against governments and uh, I know in 1916 artists and writers and uh, poets and uh, that kind uh, people of that ilk were involved in the rising, you know. Um, but I think, in large part, the the, the major um, modus operandi of government is to keep us passive, you know. And uh, they understand the psychology of this, you know. They know that you and me uh, can be convinced of things once it's. Uh, delivered in a particular way that's why they have machines of uh, propaganda of uh, public relations you know bullshit that uh, they're able to promote a particular thing and get the media it's why uh, the likes of Dennis O'Brien here I know he's he, internationally he's known um, that's why he um, he has such a foothold in the media because he knows that you can uh, influence so many people with a particular message influence government influence you know uh, you can wield a lot of power when you have control over uh, uh, the media uh, he owns 
I don't know, he owns, he owns a big chunk of Irish news and media, he owns a, a dozen radio stations here in this country, and he's a telecoms guy, He's um, I think he's in the Caribbean as well, he's a big noise in the Caribbean and the telecoms game, and uh, they know how to manipulate and they know how to uh, take over the, the hearts and minds of people. And I wonder when we'll actually wake up, you know, I wonder when we'll uh, realise that this goes on. You know, um, I don't think we will. I don't think we can. I can't. I, I, I can't see it. You know, it's like when people come together in crowds. I don't. I don't like crowds. It's like a football matches, right? You go to a game or something like that, or you're in a crowd in the city or something like that, and people tend to just leave their fucking mind at home. You know, they just. You know, you see, like, uh, if you need to evacuate a premises, everyone just goes like sheep in one in one direction. For example, or uh, they can't they can't make a decision. You know, it's like a queue in a shop. Even you know, there's two tills. You ever go into a, a newsagent or or a convenience store, and there's it's busy, right? And there's a couple of tills going, and there's one queue, uh, and one at one till, and everybody's going from the top of that queue, uh, as as a till becomes free, instead of forming two queues. And everybody just follows everybody else. And you go and form another queue, a brand new queue in front of the second tail. And everyone looks at you like as if, you know, you bastard. But, you know, I think you should do it. I do it. And uh, you get out of the shop quicker, apart from anything else. But people are people are stupid, you know. And when we come in together in groups, we just tend to uh, do what everyone else does, you know. And, uh, yeah. So, what else have I got for you? Uh, yeah, you got uh, Edward Bernays and Noam Chomsky and John Pilger. Uh, the new studio. I'm building a studio down the back of the garden. Uh, well, it's built already. It was, it's a shed. Um, well-built shed. I built it a few years ago. My only uh, kind of regret when I built that was that I made it a little bit uh, shallow. I should have came out a couple of foot more. But anyway, it is what it is. So I'm taking over half of it. And uh, I'll include a couple of photos in today's article. Um, and uh, I've cleared it out. I've cleared the space. Been measuring up. Been doing a bit of shopping online. I've picked out all the bits and pieces for my desk arrangement. Going to get all that from Ikea. About 500 quid. Uh, and um, I'm going to floor it and wall it out. I've, I've, the, I've my list of stuff now. Ready to go. From the builders providers i'll get that stuff in and by the end of august i shall be coming to you from the new studio and i'm really looking forward to it i'm sticking a little fridge in there i've got my sonus players i've got two player ones play ones uh i've set them up for stereo uh, uh what else have i got i'm getting a new uh, uh little mixer behringer mixer i might go for actually no i'm not going for a behringer mixer i'm going for uh, a Yamaha mixer, uh, MX10 or 12, something like that, and uh, I'm kitting it out, I can't wait to move into it, I'm going to show you loads of photographs when I have it done, I'm setting up a little video section as well, I plan to do some video there, uh, I plan to do all my reading there, I told me missus that I'm moving all my books out of the house down to the down to the shed, and uh, she's loving it, you know, she can't wait to get me out, I have a ton of books underneath my desk here in the bedroom, and uh, my desk takes, takes up a good chunk of the room as well. Which is a pain in the arse, you know what I mean? Um, 
I, I don't like being disturbed when I work. So having that space is uh, very important to me, you know. I'll have my fridge, I'll have my coffee machine down there. I'll have, uh, I'll even throw a few beers in there. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to you earlier about that site I went. Let me see if I can get it here. Hang on a minute. It's called, uh, da, 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 where are we? Um, Seedman. Oh, yes. Seedsman. Where are you? Yeah, so we're joined Seedsman. It's a site that sells uh, cannabis seeds. And um, I'm, I'm, I might get into trouble for this. I don't know if I will. I'm willing, I'm willing to take the chance because, you see, I am a dissenting voice. Fuck the, fuck the authorities. I'm going to grow some hash. And uh, I might even get stoned and do an episode. But uh, I'm going to just experiment with this and give it a go. So I'm getting 25% off my first order when I pay by Bitcoin, right? This site sells uh, seeds for... Uh, Cannabis plants, female seeds. I was doing a bit of reading on it earlier on. Very interesting subject. Like really quite uh, horticultural and scientific in how they uh, approach the whole growing thing. And uh, I'm I'm very impressed. It's not like you would think, you know, uh, kind of back alley stuff. It's all very open. Uh, I have inquired about the legality of it because I'm concerned that if I order some seeds that I'm going to get lashed uh, now, I may not, you know, but uh, if I do, I want to make sure that uh, I'm not breaking the law. But if I break the law, I break the law and that's it. What can happen? I might get fined or something like that. I don't know. But uh, I'm going to give it a lash and see where it goes. Uh, I was trying to open a link there, but it won't open. Uh, however, so I'm getting a new Mac as well. I have my eye on a Mac, an iMac, my machine that I work off at the moment tends to uh, be a little bit laboured under some of the stuff that I like to do. Like if I have, uh, if I've got some audio processing going on, and I want to try and uh, do something else at the same time, the CPU goes bananas. So I want to get a new, uh, a new Mac. Yeah, so me, I am one, second hand. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Any of you ever get a second hand iMac? I'd be interested to see uh, what you think. So yes. So Seeds Man talks about feminized cannabis seeds, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to give this. Uh, I'm going to give this site some decent reading because um, I'm interested in this. Yes, indeed. So that uh, studio should be ready at the end of August. Uh, I'll be back from the old Holliers and going away up to Donegal next weekend. Looking forward to that with family. And uh, I'm going to post some stuff from there. I mightn't do a whole pile of writing, but I will record because it's easy, you know. Just whip out the phone and go. Uh, Did I talk about paleo eating yet? Not sure I did. So, uh, about eight weeks ago, I'll do that now, how about that? About eight weeks ago, uh, I decided I need to get myself in shape uh, because I've, I had applied a little condition. Uh, I'm normally around somewhere between 12 and a half and 13 stone. That's, uh, I don't know what, you do, do the maths, it's about 14 pounds in a stone. Um, currently, when I, when I weighed myself at the start of that thing, I was 88 and a half kgs. And that's way over the top for me. So uh, as of uh, this morning, I am 84 and a half. So 4 kgs. Uh, 4 kgs lost. Uh, body fat percentage is down from 80... Uh, what? Uh, down from 18% to 13%. Sometimes dips below 13 Depends what I've been eating. Um, I, I haven't been strictly paleo. Like I have 
uh, had some bread, not very much. I'd say I've been about 95 to 98% compliant. And that's resulted in me shifting 4 kgs, which is about, well, it's 2.2 pounds in a kg. So do the maths. So yeah, 4 twos is 8, four, about 9 pounds, right? Uh, lost about 9 pounds and body fat is down about 5%. So pretty pleased. Now, I've been running and I've been uh, hitting the weights. I've got some bars that I fling around the place out the back there. I'm building um, a little workout station as well outdoors because I've no room for it in the shed anymore. Um, and I'm pretty pleased with that. Uh, it's easy for me, though. I don't know why. It just is. It's easy for me to get fit. I tend to see results pretty quickly. It's not the same for everybody, but um, that's the way it is for me. So if you're looking to burn fat, if you're looking to shift a bit of body fat, I'd, I'd recommend going paleo. You're essentially cutting out all breads, wheats, pastas, uh, processed foods. Uh, what I find good is kind of starving myself for a day or two days and then eating uh, a lot of protein and vegetables and fruit. But normally in my working day, I just lash into the work, drink lots of water, because um, essentially when you don't eat carbohydrate, carbohydrate, it, the, the molecule carries water, uh, and you're, you tend to dehydrate much quicker, so you have to lash the water in. So drinking lots of water, eating loads of uh, dried fruit like raisins and sultanas, uh, the ones that are not um, soaked in fucking, what do you call it, uh, sulfur dioxide, you gotta watch out for that in your dried fruit. So I've been eating I've been eating fruit and nuts and uh drinking lots of water and the weight has, has fallen off. So I'm pretty happy with that. Quality of food I've been eating is good too. Uh dropped all sugary stuff, no more chocolate and stuff like that, you know. Although I have dabbled a little bit. So I'm pretty pleased about that. So um anyway, um if you're looking to shift weight, eating paleo and working out is the way to go. But it's not easy, like, I take it for granted, you know, I, I think I do, I, I understand that not everybody finds working out um, easy, you know, um, it's tough going, especially if you've not done it really before, you spent a kind of mostly sedentary life, it's difficult to, uh, but I get a buzz out of being bollocks, you know, out of, out of working out and pushing myself, you know, I get, I get a bit of a buzz out of it, so, anyway, um, that's what I'm at. I'm going to continue eating like this and uh, working out till I get to where I want to be. Uh, I tend to go through phases like that, you know. So listen, uh, I'm going to wind it up at that. Uh, if you want to get some material um, on the topics that I spoke about today, get the links to those articles I was reading, get over to larrygmaguire.com and check out today's Sunday Letters article and you'll get those links to John Pilger's article, to... Uh, a little bit of bump on Edward Bernays to some um, psychological content on conformity and the link uh, to that Noam Chomsky uh, video I'll also uh, uh, allow you access to that book I spoke about called Propaganda by Edward Bernays you'll need to enter your email address to download it but uh, it's there for you if you want to and keep your earballs out for more news on the studio I'm really looking forward to getting that. Can't tell you how much I am. Uh, so want to get that moving and, and into action by the end of August. Or yeah, end of August. 
So that's it for now. Um, I should say that if you want to get more of my material, get over to LarryGMcGuire.com. The uh, podcast, The Daily LARP, is available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, uh, Spotify, Spreaker, uh, SoundCloud, Anchor, and anywhere good podcasts are played. So um, that's it for me for now. Until maybe tomorrow or the next day, I shall see you. Hope you have a good weekend, what's left of it. Take it easy. All the best.